so each year as we plan for the next year we have ideas about who to ask to come to be speakers and um, we get suggestions and so we try speakers and then that one doesn't work and then we try another one and that one doesn't work and try another one and that one doesn't work and I'm not sure how many we went through this past year so finally we decided you know what we're just going to stick with local speakers this year looks like so that's why you've got Val and I here and so um, but as you can tell Brother Val comes here with a message and um, I think the Lord has given me something that I want to say and a subject that I'd like to think about with you today um, as I sat and listened to Val it felt like I was back in doctrine class at SMBI now, that was good that was really good Val body of sin I remember those discussions we had in those classrooms it was good so the subject that I have I want to address has to do with that reformation that's taking place in our hearts it's taking place in my heart um, I'm so glad that I've been redeemed from destruction and the Lord has freed me to now start working on these issues and it's really a, an ongoing process of becoming secure but I still deal with a lot of insecurities so I'd like to have you think about with me these um, various subjects that have to do with this. I, uh, today I want to deal with this subject of secure or insecure. We're going to come to some answers of how to deal with it. And then tomorrow I'm going to deal more specifically with a big answer. And then um, the next day I think we're going to look at um, an aspect of insecurity that is really impacts I mean, if we're really insecure, we're going to struggle more in this area. And Val mentioned it in this area of jealousy. We're going to address the, those who have not. And then the next day, we're going to address the issue of the haves, those who have it together, so to speak. We're going to address that issue of, uh, of popularity and the desire for popularity. And then on the last day, on Friday, when the crowd dwindles, then I'd like to talk about this secret vow that we have that says, uh, I won't suffer. And uh, we're going to talk about how what, is, what does the scripture have to say about that subject. And that really impacts a lot of how we handle life, too, is that little vow inside that says, I won't suffer. And what God has to say about that. Let's pause to pray. Heavenly Father, special gift it is here to be with these dear people. We're gathered here with common purpose, and that is to serve our King and to build the kingdom of God. I thank you, Lord, for all these uh, this desire that's here. But Lord, you know our battle that we struggle and wrestle in the flesh with fleshly desires yet, but we are free to work on it. So help us to that end, especially in this area of insecurity. In Jesus' name. Discussion. 
how do you describe a secure person? If you look around you, and you're going to be rubbing shoulders with each other this week, and you're going to notice some things, at least if you're thoughtful. If you're out in la-la land somewhere, well, maybe you won't. But I know you aren't that way. You're thoughtful. So how would you describe a secure person? Any thoughts? Confident and not er- but not arrogant. Okay, he gave two sides there, didn't he? Good. Thank you. Some more. Free. Oh, free person. Free, not in bondage. Okay. Those thoughts are helpful. I'm going to move on into. Um, I, uh, I mean, there's. It's not just Christians that think about this. The secular world thinks about this. The secular world wants to be secure. Okay, so here's just some uh, evaluations that I found somewhere. Things that secure people never do. Okay, so secure people, number one, talk about themselves like a broken record. Secure people... Uh, know that their lives are going in a good direction and they respect the times when things don't go their way. Because of this, secure people aren't going to talk for the sake of attention. Secure people will talk when there's something of interest to be talked about. Secure people won't be one up on you. Isn't that a little frustrating? When you're in conversation with someone you're sharing and they've always got a little bit better story they've traveled a little bit farther they've done a little bit more than you they're just one up and it's funny that I never do that <laughs> See, uh, believe me I have caught myself sometimes secure people don't fish for compliments um, because they feel good about themselves. Insecure people don't feel good about themselves, so therefore they kind of put the feelers out there to try to bring you to compliment them. So they're fishing to pull you in. Energy takers. Fourthly, secure people don't try to be best buddies with everyone. Secure people know that know what enough friends is. They know what real friends are. They respect acquaintances. With several billion people on this planet, we can only respect one another, but we cannot be friends with everyone. Friendly, but not friends with everyone. Secure people feel confident with being alone sometimes. Don't always have to be with someone. Secure people... Uh, they never feel the need to belong to everything. Maybe secure people have skills, and others admire them enough to put them in high positions. However, they don't purposely try to run everything. They'll have to. Or they don't act as if they run the place. Secure people are comfortable to, in following the rules, and they don't need to create to create them. They know that who 
and you know that they are where they are and are fine with that place and don't involve, don't need to have full undivided attention at all times. So they don't need to have to design the rules. They're just fine with the rules. They're okay with them. Seven. They don't work for likes and follows on social media. I'll bring that up another time. But this is a real issue today. Number eight. They don't dominate the dinner conversation. Secure, the secure person understands that a conversation is no solo act, but an exchange of thoughts. It's a conversation. So they speak when it's their turn and take the time to learn what everyone else is passionate about. Number eight, or number nine. They don't brag about their accomplishments. Secure people might talk about the things they love doing, but they never brag about being voted the most likely to succeed. You hardly know all the things that they're involved in because they don't talk about all the stuff they're involved in. You might find out, but they probably won't tell you. Number 10. Secure people don't put themselves down. Now, they are humble. Um... But humility is not putting yourself down. Secure people simply accept their limitations and are okay with themselves. And the reason insecure people put themselves down is so others can expect less of them. So you have at one moment, the insecure person is bragging on themselves, and the next moment, they're putting themselves down. Number 11. Secure people don't always don't feel as if they always need a buddy. They're okay with being on their own. And they'll find something to do when there aren't any plans. And number twelve, a secure person doesn't need to tell you they know everybody. Secure people dive into relationships, but of course they branch out. However, they are perfectly fine without the whole world knowing about them. They usually find enough comfort in a relationship that trying out everyone is unnecessary. All right, so we've tried to describe a secure person. Now, God has created within each one of us the desire to be appreciated by everyone. It is simply the way we're made. We want to be appreciated. The desire for approval... To be seen, appreciated, and loved is one of the strongest motivators of our actions and feelings. Approval covers a lot of what we want from ourselves and others. And so, it includes acceptance. We want to feel that we belong with the people that we seek approval from. We desire appreciation. We want to feel that someone recognizes our value and our abilities and appreciates them. And yes, we like attention. We do like it. Who doesn't want attention? Say you don't want it, but you do. You seek validation. We want to know that we matter to others. And of course, love. 
love is one of the strongest human desires. And when boy meets girl and it starts happening, wow. We want to be liked. Second to love, liked by our friends, our peers, society in general, general, and even to be popular. Oh, I used to be jealous of those popular people. <clears throat> Maybe still am. We want to be understood. We want others to understand what we say and do and sympathize with us. Innate desire. God put it there. Made us this way. We want to be cared for. Lifelong. Others to care about us and take care of us. Now here's a problem. A problem in today's world. And that is online connectivity and social media have turned wanting approval into an addictive habit. Um, I'm bragging, okay? I've put one post on Instagram. So far. So far. But I did do a few reviews on Google Maps. And you know what? I have got, they told me, I have got 8,500 views. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> giving acceptance to each other is biblical be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another John 13.34 a new commandment I give unto you that ye love one another as I have loved you that ye also love one another by this shall men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Biblical. God made us so that we find a sense of worth when others notice and appreciate what we do and who we are to them. God-given desire that we have worth. And he said, Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall to the ground without your father? But the very hairs of your head are numbered. Fear ye not, therefore ye are of more value than many sparrows. So that innate desire to know that we are of value, God put it there. And I just don't think your dog has quite that same sense. As nice as he is, his tail wagging. There's a difference. <clears throat> When God made us with these desires, he said, this is very good. God placed that value there. So when this young lady is chosen by the man she loves, it means so much to her. And that commitment of marriage is a vow of value and significance to the other. So lifelong, she's thinking, he picked me. And I just, wow, to be treasured, deeply, deeply treasured. That is why the separation is so, so painful because it's a violation of that choice, that value that was put there initially. <clears throat> the desire to know that we belong is deep within us. That's why a family is so important. God has placed the lonely in families. 
And we are insecure when we lack a sense of belonging. And this affects our sense of self-worth and limits us from being all God wants us to be. When we're insecure in who we are and where we belong. There's so much damage when there's a when there's marital struggles between mom and dad. There's separation. The children struggle with their place to belong. Who do I really belong to now? Mom or dad? They're separated. Now what? It's huge. You know it. But we like the word. We like the word community because it brings a sense of belonging. That's why I think our Anabaptist understanding of brotherhood is beautiful. A commitment to the local body of Christ. I'm committed and I plug in. I belong here. It's my church. Yes, it's part of the universal church, but it's a local expression and I belong to it. Uh, that, that is God-designed and meaningful. So on several occasions, the Father affirmed the worth, the belonging, and contributions of Jesus. And here's one of them. And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, and James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain, and was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias, talking with him. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elias. And while he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. Father affirming. His son. And this is beautiful when earthly fathers call their sons beloved, in whom I am well pleased. It's a beautiful example. So, what we feel from people impacts us. Rejection hurts, and it should. And we don't like when people are unhappy with us. That does not feel good. When we're ignored by those who are near us, feel it. And when our genuine efforts to achieve and to contribute go unnoticed, we feel it. It just doesn't feel good. The Apostle Paul felt it. said, Demas hath forsaken me. Demas hath forsaken me. Apparently they had a working relationship and Demas left. And it hurt. Having loved this present world and departed unto Thessalonica, went to another location. So here's the problem. And the problem is this. What if this natural desire for acceptance that God placed within each one of us goes out of control. 
What if what people think of us and what we think people think of us becomes something that controls me? And you, now what? I want you to listen carefully to what happens to a person whose natural desire to be appreciated goes out of control. We have an example. In fact, this person was placed into leadership. Now what happens? What happens when you place a person whose desire has gone out of control in leadership? What do you have? He had a responsibility to do what was right, but people controlled him. What people thought of him became very, very important. And this man was insecure in his leadership. You'll find this in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 1 to 28. I was trying to figure out here. If you got your Bibles, you can churn there. I'm not sure if I'm going to read all these verses. But this has to do with Saul being anointed to be king over Israel. And he was given an instruction uh, by the Lord through Samuel. Go now, and in verse 3, chapter 15, Go now and smite Amalek, and utterly destroy all that they have, and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ox. All right, so we can ignore the story. We're going to skip some verses here, where Paul gathered, Saul gathered the people together, and they went out to do the job. Well, uh, in verse eight, and he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive, and it utterly destroyed all the people by the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good. And would not utterly destroy them, but everything that was violent and refused, they destroyed utterly. Now then came the word of the Lord to Samuel, saying, It repented me that I set up Saul to be king, and he turned back from following me, and it hath performed, not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. Whew. And when Samuel rose up early to meet Saul in the morning, and it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set him up in a place and, and has gone about and passed on and gone down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul. And Saul said unto him, Oh, blessed be thou of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, well, What meaneth the bleeding of the sheep in mine ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? And Samuel said, Oh, they have brought them from the Amalekites. And for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen and the sac to sacrifice to the Lord thy God. And the rest we have utterly destroyed. And then Samuel said to Saul, Stay, and I will tell thee what the Lord has said to me this night. And he said unto him, Say on. And Samuel said, When thou wast little and little in sight, wast thou not made for the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel? And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil and did evil in the sight of the Lord? And Samuel said to Saul, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and have gone the way which the Lord sent me and have brought Agag the king of Amalek 
and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief things that should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord thy God in Gilgal. Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. And Samuel said unto Saul, I have sinned. For I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words, because I feared the people and have obeyed their voice. Now therefore I pray thee, pardon my sin and turn again with me, that I may worship the Lord. And Samuel said unto Saul, I will not return with thee, for thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected thee from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned about to go away, he laid hold on the skirt of his mantle and rent it. Samuel said unto him, The Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day, and hath given it to thy neighbor, a neighbor of thine, that is better than thou. Do you see what's going on here? Saul was an insecure man. He was an insecure leader. And when the heat was on, he caved. And he gave in to the people rather than obey what he was commanded of God to do. How he appeared to people controlled him. So insecure. Samuel did not have the strength of character to stand up and tell people, no. God says we've got to destroy everything. Don't keep any of it. The people wanted to, but he didn't have the strength of character to say no. And then he blames the people. <laughs> well, actually, he tells a partial truth at first. When Saul confronts him, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. But then he blames the people, saying they took the spoil. And that's very typical of insecure people, shifting the responsibility or weaseling around or little lies told to make myself look better so I don't look so bad. You know, this is very easy for leaders to do. Very easy. Because leaders are public figures. And they're no different than anybody else. They want to look good. So for leaders, it's very easy for leaders to fall in the trap of people-pleasing because the leader wants people to think well of him. It's not easy for fathers to tell their children no because fathers want their children to think well of them. But when parents have a good working relationship with children, their children, and people know that their children know that their parents have their best in mind, and children know that they are valued, heard, and loved, then they are told when they're told no, they don't react, they respect. Sometimes not, I'll go on record, not every time. We can be perfect parents and not always everything works out. They have free will. I think I have struggled with this issue longer than I know. When I attended public school, I was different than my classmates. 
and I knew it. Because in our home, we didn't have a... You know what it was. And they did. So when they talked about the latest movies, I didn't know the language. And I would smile (laughs) and act as if I knew. I didn't want them to know that we didn't have a TV. I was the only one in the class of 25. I didn't have a television. I became very self-conscious of this and wanted to hide the fact. And so I learned some strange ways of hiding. And one of those ways was to become shy. Quiet. It seemed to me that being self-conscious and controlled by the pains of others could only be then managed, not cured. So when I went to Fresh Start, I was given this book to read called Significance in Christ. And you know, that was helpful. As I read that book and realized that I am significant in Christ and explained to me that what God thought of me was more important than what people thought of me. I am a saint. I am a child of God. Amen. And I am loved of God. I am special to Him no matter what people think. Well, I would say this was progress. Um, and, it, and it was truth. It really was. But then I began to realize that God is becoming a needs provider. As while some of this was helpful, there was more truth that needed to be realized. And there is, I'm not saying, there is truth and identity in realizing my position in Christ. And we need to know that. But I still struggled with making an impression on others. In fact, I had a friend one time who was very honest and he said, you know, you make confessions, but you usually make your confessions so you end up looking pretty good. win for losing. So I began to realize that it is possible to know God loves me and what he thinks of me matters, but at the same time still being controlled by what people think of me. And that need for affirmation. It's it's possible to be controlled by that need. So it's possible to be in bondage, controlled by others, and yet feel empty there's some other words for this it's called peer pressure being controlled by what other people think of me it's called people pleasing it's called codependency you familiar with latching on people who latch on and the bible calls it another has another term for it does anybody know what it is says about it? The fear of man brings a snare. But whoso put his trust in the Lord shall be safe. In other words, the fear of man is a snare of insecurity and you're not safe. Because people let you down. Now, am I talking out of two sides of my mouth? I was just telling you you have a God-given desire for acceptance. But you see, at the same time, the devil likes to take what God created to be very, very good and use properly. It's a wonderful gift and twist it and turn it into a lust. And now it's a bad thing. And in fact, it's a snare. 
It's possible to be a fervent worshiper of the one true God, but below the surface have a fear of people. And that fear is a snare, it's a trap, it's a bondage. And that fear of man is everywhere. People are guided by the fear of man. That fear of man can influence what we wear. So, should you should you care about what we wear and the impact it has on others? Of course. But the world uses that influence to influence you to buy certain kinds of clothing so you can impress people and meet more of that need. So we've got to be careful how we're influenced by this. The question is, why do we wear what we wear? It also influences the amount of money we, and I put in there, hope to make if we haven't made it. Why do we secretly hope to make it big? Because wealthy people are generally looked up to. And we have a desire to be looked up to. So, James states it, Ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing. And say to him, Sit thou there in a good place. And say to the poor, Stand thou there here under my footstool. Us redeemed people are still susceptible through fleshly desire to want this. A man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things he possesses, Jesus said. So I got to write that down in my mind sometimes. Okay. Uh, Ed Welsh, in his book, When People Are Big and God is Small, uh, gives some test questions to help us determine about how ensnared we are with this problem, this predicament of the fear of man. So here's what he suggests. Uh, have you ever struggled with peer pressure? Uh, peer pressure is a simple euphemism for the fear of man. And if you've experienced it when you were younger, believe me, it is still there. It may be submerged and revealed in more adult ways, or it may be camouflaged by you, impressive, your impressive perceived successes, where you inwardly boast. Are you overcommitted? You find it hard to say no. When wisdom says you shouldn't, or he says you should, you're a people pleaser. And another term for a people pleaser is a fear of man. I don't want to say no. I can do everything. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Therefore, I do it all. Oh, that's another sermon. Do you need something from your spouse? Um... Do you need your spouse to listen to you, respect you? God is pleased when you have good communication and honor between spouses, but your spouse could never take the place of God, and that's easy to happen. Is self-esteem a critical concern for you? A critical concern. Okay. Is self-esteem a reoccurring thing to you? Chances are that your life revolves around what others think. You reverence or fear their opinions. 
key words here are reverence and fear, their opinions. Are you always second-guessing decisions because of what other people think? That's an evidence of insecurity and the fear of man, second-guessing yourself. And believe me, leadership position pushes this to the top because you're up front. You don't want to look bad in other people's eyes. Or do you get easily embarrassed? If so, people and the perceived opinions probably define you. Oh, dear Brother Val. Why did you come up with the turtle story? Do you ever lie, especially little white lies? I got stories like that too, brother. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm sure we all do. Thank you for your vulnerability. But the turtle story was to escape the wrath of dad. <laughs> but the fear of man brings a snare. So I think you said for six months you lived with a snare. Yeah. It binds us. Are you jealous of other people? If so, you are controlled by them. So if all these others didn't work for you, none of these applied, probably, oh, there's another one. Do you avoid people? You then are controlled by them as well. But here's the big one that perhaps the most dangerous form of fear of man is the successes. For him that thinketh he standeth, take heed lest he fall. But I'm thinking about another verse in Proverbs. I can't quite bring to mind here. So is a man to his praise. I'll bring that one back later. But it's like a crucible. When we're praised and we have a success, we're in a crucible. We're tested. We really are. And and what are we going to do with it when we are when we do feel the success? how we handle that really shows whether or not we have a fear of man the fear of man is such a part of the human our human fabric that we should check for a pulse if someone denies it Ed Welsh we're fully ensnared but we don't have to stay there and I want to I impress that on us we don't have to stay there we are controlled probably by varying degrees and there's a way out there's a way to overcome not with eye service as men pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. The fear of man is different than servanthood. The fear of man is different than servanthood. The reality is we fear people because they can expose and humiliate us. We fear people because they can reject and ridicule and despise us. We fear people because they can attack and oppress and threaten us. We see people as bigger more powerful than it's, and more significant than the God who created us. <clears throat> There's a fear of man because of the shame, the fear of the exposure. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. When we become honest with this, we can find a way out.
as many of you probably know, there's a, a big troubling situation facing Christian Aid Ministries. They're trying to find a path out of it. Um, so much of that situation has to do with the fear of man. How it even started. With leaders probably not stepping up the plate and saying what they should have said to start with. And then the cover-ups. No way out. And then we got social media involved. The explosion of it all. I just see this whole... And these are God's people. And I, I mean, I feel sympathy for those who made the misjudgments and I feel sympathy for the victims and the fear of man that is so much intertwined with the whole situation. <clears throat> the fear of the Lord is this. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me Thou knowest my down-sitting and my uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. And nothing is hidden from him. Nothing. The answer to the fear of man it would go like this, that God loves you more than you think. It turns out to be shallow and incomplete. It's a reality. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That, that is a reality, but we've got to go deeper. The Bible affirms that truth, and it's better than the self love yourself gospel. But it's, it's incomplete in that it does not include obedience to the doctrine that will bring freedom from the bondage of the fear of man. Doctrine like... Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. See how that's opposite of the fear of man? What they think of me? I think more of them than of me. We're turning this around. I hope we've got time for a little discussion here yet today. I'm going to open it up. Strife and vainglory are the fruit of the fear of man. We are instructed to think of others as better than ourselves. So, God is not our errand boy, given the task of inflating our self-esteem. I'd just like to say that, that he's not just a needs meter. We've got to go deeper than that Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's a reality that we need to know. That's true. But if we camp there and only there, now we've got God just meeting my needs and saving me from hellfire. There's more to the gospel. Because that can be just selfish. We need to be asking ourselves these quite questions. Why do I have to have someone, even Jesus, to think I'm great. Really, why do I? Oh yeah, I said that it's an inborn desire that we have to be loved and appreciated. Yes, it is. 
But when we become controlled by it, then we think even God has to think I'm great. Much of the time we need to be thinking less of ourselves rather than more. Jesus said to his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Not build up your self-esteem and then come follow me. Deny yourself. Then follow me. I think we can affirm those desires, yeah, and, but hold them with... Crystal used to teach this. With an open hand. Desiring and longing, not clenched fists. But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. We humble ourselves before God. Not trying to think more of ourselves, but less. Not beating ourselves down, no, but being humble and broken before God. Secondly, God must be bigger to you than people are. God must be bigger to you than people are. Now, this can take years to grasp, a lifetime to grasp. It's a journey, it's continual reminders. Remember, remember, remember. But if we're not engaged with the understanding of our vulnerability to the fear of man, we will be sold to the whims of what people think of us. If we are not engaged with the battle, we will become sold to the whims of what people think of us. Daily, we must focus on understanding how big our God is. For example, how can I obey Him today? Rather than how can He make me feel better today? Believe me, I love the promises of God and I meditate upon them. But right along with that, I've got to think, how can I obey Him better today? How can I love Him more today? And how can I serve Him more today? And how can I fear Him more today? Isaiah 33, 6, And wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of thy times and strength of salvation the fear of the Lord is his treasure oh fear the Lord Psalm 34 verse 9 oh fear the Lord ye his saints for there is no want to them that fear him the young lions do lack and suffer hunger but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing come ye children hearken unto me and I will teach you the fear of the Lord our problem with people is that we need them for ourselves more than we love them for the glory of God. So it is our task to need people less and to love them more. Otherwise, we'll be using each other. We bite and devour talks about can we consume one another ouch instead of seeking to manipulate people to appreciate us we should be asking God what is my duty toward them and this doesn't come natural this is the redeemed part of us coming out it's a path the path of service is a path of freedom and the fear of man Lest we feed someone's fear of man, does that mean you don't give words of encouragement? 
No, we're instructed to give words of encouragement. We won't be feeding their fear of man by giving encouragement. Praise for a job well done is well put. God did it to Jesus when he affirmed him as his son. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. No, freely give encouragements. We need to do that. We won't be feeding their lusts. That's their job between them and God, yes. We need to do what God did for Jesus to each other and expecting, not expecting a return. So, the question, who am I, is a good question about identity. However, when we, it is dwelt upon too long, it becomes self-centered. Um, so I'd say I, I've had my own identity issues. I had to rebuild my identity. And so for probably a year, I had been putting at the top of my journal this question, who am I? And I would answer it by going to the scripture and finding out what does the scripture talk about, who am I? But you know, as I, I was actually doing this study, I began to realize that is a that is a good question, but it's not complete. Because just look at how, how self-centered that is if we just stay there. That's self-centered. Now, I believe God answers that big question. That's why that's what's so beautiful about Christianity. We understand our identity. But it can't stop there because it becomes self-centered. The who am I person can become a self-absorbed become self-absorbed with the question. Identity is important. Without an understanding of it, we are insecure. The who am I question needs to include the what am I about question. We've got to move beyond knowing who I am. Now, what am I about? That's where we become a much more whole person in Christ and what he is about, what he wants of us, how he wants us to be builders in the kingdom of God, to be disciples. So, in conclusion, and I'll open up for a few questions yet. Am I about serving rather than fearing man? Am I about following Jesus? Am I about loving people rather than fearing what they think of me? Am I about obeying and discipling more than receiving all the affirmation I long for from people? 